must say it's good to be back in the pulpit. Um, I'm grateful for those who spoke the past couple of weeks, Miss Laura Strabley from Pregnancy Center, from Thomas's message last, last week. I do want to commend Thomas for bringing God's Word last week and challenging, challenging the church body on counting the cost and what it costs to follow King Jesus. It takes much to follow Jesus. It takes much to follow Christ. And, and for some, it costs everything. Some of the world today, it costs their lives. And in fact, we stand upon the shoulders today of those men and women who have died for the cause of Christ and for making sure that the gospel is widespread. And so... I'll ask you, if you will, let's take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. And our examination today will be these first five verses in chapter 16. And as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I'll ask you if you'll stand with me as we read from the sacred text. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. God's Word says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. There was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went on their way through cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders and those who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. If you have that in your copy of God's Word, underline and highlight strengthened and increased in your Bible. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Ask His blessing upon this time together in His Word. Father, we thank You already that we have been before You in worship and adoration. We thank You, God, that we are able to raise our voices to You and our hearts to You in worship today in this place that You have set aside for us to gather in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we work through this sacred text today, Father, that you would hide me as the expositor behind the cross, Lord, and that Christ will be elevated and lifted on high and your church will be edified and strengthened through the preaching of your word. Father, I pray for the sinner here today, God, I pray that they will fall before the cross of Christ and, Father, they would repent of their sins before a holy and righteous God, God, and you would save them according to your grace and your mercy. I pray, God, as your people hear your word today, they will be strengthened and transformed, for it is in the name of Jesus I bring these words. Amen. You may be seated. In the last time that we were gathered in the book of Acts, particularly chapter 15, we saw Paul and Barnabas and and Silas and Peter, they had met with this council in Jerusalem and they had contended with this council over the question of circumcision. Specifically, should the new Gentile believers 
in Jesus now also need to be circumcised under the old covenant law to be considered in right standings with the Lord? Is there something they must do above and beyond the act of grace on the cross that would find right favor with the Lord? And so the apostles and the elders met together and they determined as they sought the scripture and discernment one with another as iron sharpens iron. Acts 15 and verse 8 and 9 tells us that God knows the heart and he bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, the apostles say. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Faith in the resurrected Messiah, not circumcision, not baptism, not any other work of the hands, but by faith in Christ alone. And to put the burden of circumcision back upon these Gentile believers would be putting the burden of the law back upon them where the grace of Jesus now alleviated this burden. So they agreed that they should write a letter to the Gentile believers and distribute that letter and deliver it in person to the believers in Antioch and to Syria and Cilicia and places they had ventured before, sharing the good news. They had saw people saved. The Lord was adding to the church daily. And so they returned to these places. See, they didn't just hear the Galatian people and the Gentile people say a quote-unquote sinner's prayer and walk an aisle and leave them alone. They invested in seeing them mature in their faith in Jesus. They didn't just hand them a track on how to be a new believer or hand them the gospel according to uh, John and say, read through this and get back with me later. No, they invested in seeing them mature in their faith. And so these believers took the advice and the counsel and they scribed out a letter instructing the new Gentile believers to abstain from those things that were sacrificed to idols, from consumption, consumption of blood, of animals, and that what has been killed in an inhumane fashion. Not only that, they added to abstain from sexual immorality. These prohibitions that we see in this letter are all glimpses of their past lives that were entrenched in paganism and idolatry. All the things that would be a stumbling block for other Gentile believers or people to hear of the good news. And in order to keep them from being a hindrance or stumbling block to another person, these writers would say, keep yourselves from idolatrous actions. And we would say today, anything that would be a stumbling block or a detour from the gospel, we are to run from those things. To lay those things down. So they gathered the Gentile congregation. They read the letter of admonition and encouragement. And the Bible tells us that they rejoiced because now they are considered part of the community. They rejoiced together. And Paul and Barnabas remained there and discipled the people by preaching and teaching in effect, helping this new body of believers build their spiritual muscles. To build their spiritual muscles. So... If you have looked at the title for today's sermon, which is Being Strengthened or Growing Spiritual Muscles, is what I want to speak to you today about in God's Word, because I believe it is imperative, it is important, it is vitally important 
that believers in the Lord Jesus be involved in the spiritual disciplines that will in fact, in effect, help them grow in their faith, grow spiritual muscles that they need to sustain a healthy and consistent walk with the Lord and one with another. Building spiritual muscles in these spiritual disciplines will not only help you grow spiritual muscles, but it will also help grow the body of Christ. Therefore, the title of today's message is Growing in Stereo. That might be an odd title for a sermon, Growing in Stereo, but I'll ask you if you'll bear with me till we reach the end. We pray the Lord will help us to tie it all together towards the end of this sermon today. But what, what, what must we do to exercise our spiritual muscles in the Lord Jesus? What must we do to build muscles and to exercise our spiritual disciplines of our faith? Well, the first thing you might say, well, preacher, I know that we need to pray together. Now, I must, I must say that Piney Grove is a praying church. Amen. I am glad that Piney Grove is a praying church. But we need more prayers that are focused in on the spiritual welfare of our, of our brothers and sisters and those who are lost and intercede, intercede before the Lord on their behalf. So you might say, we need to pray together, and that is true. You, all, so you might say, we need to read God's Word together and worship together, and these things are true. These are imperatives in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 instructs us to meet together. As we see the day of the Lord approaching, what do we do? We meet all the more, and we do not forsake the assembling together. So yeah, we read God's Word to, together, we worship together, those are true. What might we see in Acts 16 in these first five verses that might give us some insight on growing spiritual muscles in the Lord Jesus? Well, I'll submit to you that there are two things that we see in this passage that would help us to grow muscles and build muscles for the body of Christ individually and corporately as well. Building muscles through reassurance. And what would this look like? Building muscles through reassurance, through encouragement, through encouraging one another and speaking well of one another. Read with me again, if you will, verse 1. The Apostle Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. And there was a disciple there by the name of Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we'll stop and give an introduction here to Timothy. We find Paul and, and Silas crossing over into Tarsus, and they come to a place that is called the Cilician Gate. They entered into this southern portion of Galatia, and they arrived at Derbe and Lystra, and as they passed through these territories, as they passed through them, they caught word of a man by the name of Timothy. The same Timothy who wrote, who was... Uh, who was um, First and Second Timothy, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, this same Timothy. And Paul wrote this letter to his young son in the faith. Now what do we know from God's Word? What do we know from Scripture? What we know is Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Gentile or Greek father. Timothy and his mother had come to faith in Christ during a previous missionary visit, and Timothy had been showing fruit of spiritual maturity and growth amongst his peers. He was showing fruits of being 
in Christ and growing in Christ, and he had grown to have a reputation, a good reputation amongst his peers. Now, it would be something similar for us today if we we know somebody who is a, a person who prays in humble adoration to King Jesus. How many people in here know somebody who knows how to pray? Somebody who knows how to pray. Somebody who knows how to intercede and go before the Lord in humble adoration. We might say, well, that person really knows how to pray humbly before the Lord. And you give them a compliment such as that. Or by recognizing a a new believer in their walk. How many people in here likewise know somebody today that they can say, man, I can see that God has really brought them a long way in their walk. They're really growing in their walk with the Lord. So compliments such as that, that they have really come a long way in their walk with Christ. And it is, it is good, it is essential, and I think it is vital that we, as God's people, the body of Christ, recognize those gifts, recognize when people are growing in their faith, and then affirm those areas of growth in their life, to encourage them, to spurn them on, to keep on in Christ. And so Timothy is Paul's uh, disciple in this cause. We find a little history about Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Very, very familiar verses on behalf of Timothy. Paul writes to him and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul is pointing back to what he had heard and now has seen in Timothy as a faithful leader, a faithful overseer in this regard. And now in Acts 16, one who is willing to travel as a faithful companion with Paul on his, on his journey. In the words of A.T. Robertson, who has given extensive study to Greek language and word studies, A.T. Robertson had this to say of Timothy and Paul's interaction. And Robertson says, It is a glorious discovery to find a real young preacher for Christ's work. And I must say this, we need more of them today. We need more young men who will be young, fine preachers, who will follow the ministry, who will be young teachers, young, uh, young deacons, young elders, or whatever it might be, more young men who will fulfill Christ's work. It is a glorious discovery. I wish we had 10 to 12 to 15 to 20 young men who would rise up in our local congregation and say, Preacher, I feel the call to preach. I feel the call to teach. I feel the need to go and make the name of Jesus famous and known in all the world. We need some more men like that. And if God had called men for that work, there will be signs in his life that will be manifest to others. We will be able to affirm that calling in their life. And so it might be time for some young men to lay down their idols and start to pick up their Bibles. Lay down those idols and pick up the Bible, pick up God's Word, and proclaim the truth. We need some young men who will stand and proclaim God's God's Word. What we also find is that this is a good encouragement to parents to keep saturating your children in truth. 
to show them how to live out their faith in Jesus. We see this with Lois and Eunice here, Timothy's grandmother and mother. We see this here in their lives. To live out your faith, to demonstrate your faith in a tangible way. It doesn't mean that you, mom, dad, have to be a scholar. It doesn't mean that dad has to be a, a pastor. You don't even have to be a, a teacher in a Sunday school class. It doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor or a scholar. Just faithful in demonstrating genuine faith in Jesus. Just faithful. See, Timothy was influenced by Christ, his Christ-following mother and grandmother. From his childhood, he was exposed to the Word of God. Sitting under the sacred written Word of God, he came to know Jesus as Messiah and that made him, according to 2 Timothy 3 and 15, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we are strengthened church. We put muscles on her church by leading our families in the truth of Jesus. If we want to find a robust and strong house of the Lord, do you know where we find that first? In the home of men and women who are living out their faith. But what does this say in verse 2? The Bible says that he was well spoken of. Timothy was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Timothy had began to gather a good reputation already as being mature in the Lord. And Timothy is really the truth that no one is really closed off and isolated and completely sealed off to themselves. Uh, Timothy becomes this illustration of what it looks like to, to live out one's faith in a gospel community. He represents, in a way, Jew and Gentile and the freeing message of the gospel to all people groups the world over. He is the representation, a representation, of the message of Jesus to Jew and Gentile alike. He carried a good reputation. Now, he is not like many people today, even in the body of Christ. I'm, I hope I don't find myself in trouble when I say this, but bear with me. He is not like many people today, even in the body of Christ, who would say, I don't care what people think of me. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you've ever said that, and because I've said it myself. I don't care what people think of me. And in a way, this demonstrates a narcissistic, individualistic culture that we live in. But see, we live in a culture that's supposed to be like-minded. So let me say this. You best care what people think of you. We live in gospel community. We best care what people think of us. We have been so inundated with this self-preserved isolationist culture that we can't even recognize the value of living in gospel-centered community together. Why should I care about my reputation? Why should I care about what people think? Why? Because it may just be a stumbling block for someone to hear the good news. Why should I care what people think of me? Because it might be a stumbling block for somebody to hear the good news. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying this, that we should be looking over our shoulder and every twist and turn 
are walking on eggshells our whole life. That's not what I'm saying at all. But here's something, a simple framework to ask yourself. Because, listen, I'll be the first to raise my hand that I have said that before. I don't care what people think. And I have come to realize if I am going to be evangelistic in my mindset, if I'm going to have a demeanor and attitude of outreach, then I must change the way that I think about that. So here's a good frame, framework. A question that you can ask and if I have asked myself, Am I living a life that is glorifying God? And if someone was to peer into my private life, if someone was to unveil my private life, they were to get revelation into my private life, and they were able to look into my private life, would they be able to see that Jesus lives there too? Would they be able to see that Christ is lived out in my home as well as it is in my public ministry? And so, yeah, it is important what people think. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that we are walking on eggshells and looking over our shoulder and every shadow we're scared that somebody's going to be, that somebody's going to think about, you know, uh, what, what are they doing? Are they a hypocrite? No, it doesn't mean that. Is your life glorifying God? And if somebody was to look into your life, would they see Jesus in your home? So Timothy had this kind of reputation amongst his peers, not only in his public life, but in his private life as well. He had a reputation of being a devoted follower of Jesus, and he was growing in maturity. The body of Christ is strengthened when we are walking in harmony and encouraging one another. He was well spoken of. It is imperative that people speak well of us. I mean, we're not perfect. Nobody is. But I believe that we ought to harbor a character of being well-spoken of and mature in our faith. Chuck Lawless had wrote an interesting expose on 15 reasons why people walk away from the church. Now, I don't have time this morning to share all 15 of those. I got the article laying up here if you want to grab a copy of it. I don't want to share all of these with you this morning. I don't have time to share them all. 15 reasons why people walk away from the church. And I want to share just a few of those that I think are important to our message this morning. And why do I want to share these with you? Why is it important to evaluate such questions? It is because the opposite of church strengthening is degradation. The opposite of, uh, of strengthening is a deterioration and a tearing down. Number one, number one reason why people walk away from the church they see nothing different in Christians. They see nothing different in Christians. Do you think your reputation matters? Do you think what people think about you matters? They see nothing different in, the, in, in, the, in Christians. They come looking for the difference that the gospel makes. They come into the house of the Lord. They are looking for a loving community that loves on one another and lifts up Christ, but they find people who act like the rest of the world. There is a term for that, by the way. It is hypocrite or hypocrisy. And they see nothing different in the church. Does our reputation matter? Yes, it does. Secondly, they hear nothing but judgment. Now, 
A Christ follower, we must judge what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is ethical and what is unethical. We are to judge those things in the world, and we are to do it lovingly. So a person might come into the house of the Lord, hypothetically, and instead of finding gentle judgment and admonition, the problem that they find is that people judge unlovingly and this judgment is presented in a slanderous and gossip way. And so they hear nothing but judgment. Does our reputation matter? Yes, it does. Thirdly, they hear only stories and rumors. They go into the house of the Lord. They are expecting to hear a word from God. They are wanting to hear from God's word something that will answer their chaotic life, something that will answer the issues of their life, and they're looking, for, they're looking for the answers in God's Word because God's Word is sharp and powerful than any two-edged sword striking to the bone and marrow, the asunder very thought of our heart and mind. And yes, we find our strength in God's Word. But instead, they come in and find little to no word at all, and they find stories and humor and jokes from the pulpit I wonder how many jokes were told this morning from the pulpit about a basketball game. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong in and of themselves, but that is not the center point of my message. Now, in a moment, I'm going to have something a little humorous for you, but make no mistake about it. The center point of this message is God's Word. They hear funny stories and, and jokes and humor, and it saturates the message or the Sunday school lesson when in reality what we desperately need is the cleansing power of God's Word. Fourthly, what if somebody walk away from the church? Will somebody hurt them or their family? And so we might say, yeah, sure, they need to forgive, and they need to press on, they need to forgive, and yes, I understand that, and there is compassion that should be there. And so folks aren't there yet. And they carry their anger right out the door. They carry their anger right out the door, and they don't ever want to return again. Now, I have to be transparent with you this morning. I have to be transparent with you this morning. Because Larry Stevens in the flesh... Pastor Larry Stevens in the flesh, my knee-jerk reaction is, I don't want you to be offended when you hear me say this, because this is my knee-jerk reaction that I need to repent of because it is not in compassion. My first knee-jerk reaction is this, boo-hoo. Get in line. Everyone has been hurt by someone somewhere, and sometimes you just happen to go to church with them. But that's not compassionate. That's not loving. That's not sympathetic. Instead, let me tell you what strengthens the church more than anything on this list. Do you know what strengthens the church in those situations? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. When a brother or sister who is contending against each other, brother or brother or sister or sister in Christ, 
when there are fighting, when there is backbiting, when there is some ill feeling, you know what demonstrates the gospel more than anything in that situation is reconciliation. When Christ would die on the cross to reconcile us back unto good graces with God Almighty and justify us in His sight, if Jesus can go to the cross and reconcile us to be sure that we can find reconciliation one with another. What a beautiful picture that is of the gospel. When brother and sister can forgive one another and they start flooding the house of the Lord again, worshiping together, singing the praises of God with somebody who you had contention with last week. And then lastly, they might just be living in sin. Sometimes we overlook that. They might just be living in sin. Giving up on the church is the only byproduct of this spiritual excuse for their personal disobedience. They're just living in sin. So are you well spoken of? Do you speak well of others? Do you speak of those who are mature in Christ? Do you speak well of others? Do you encourage others who need encouraging? So to put muscles on the church, to build muscle, we, we need this encouraging. Timothy was a young man who was well spoken of, and the Lord is going to use this, this man to grow the kingdom. I mean, we have, we have two letters, or one letter, in two ways in our Bibles. Can God use you in this way? Maybe not to canonize you in Scripture, but God can use you. Secondly, building muscles by being all things in all places. Being all things to all all places to all, all men in all ways. Now, those words might sound familiar to you because Paul uttered these same words in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. And I believe that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. He is, he is discipling Timothy to be all things to all people. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So the Lord is going to use Timothy in his heritage coming from a mixed home. He is going to use Timothy to reach Jew and Gentile alike. Timothy comes from a very unique situation in this regard where he can touch both heritages. He says in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and he circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And because Timothy is, is mixed with Jewish and Greek heritage, Paul decided to circumcise him before taking him along as his junior colleague or as his disciple. Just to know by Jewish law, uh, Timothy was a Jew, and because he was the son of a Jewish mother, and because he was uncircumcised, Timothy would be considered to be unclean, an apostate, or a sinner. And so if Paul wanted to go into these synagogues and speak and to persuade his Jewish brothers, if he wanted to enter into, which was the custom of Paul, to go to the synagogue and to persuade his brothers and sisters to, to come to know Christ as Messiah, and if Paul wanted to continue to go to those synagogues and to preach Jesus to the leaders therein, and if he was going to take Timothy along as the disciple, then there could be nothing that could be held against him. 
So he was circumcised to give a clear path to the gospel and to detour from any stumbling blocks therein. There's no doubt that some would look at this and accuse Paul of being inconsistent. Paul is being inconsistent here. How so? Well, he had went to the council, the Jerusalem council, to convince them that the Gentile believers were not to be circumcised. And yet, here he is with a circumcised Timothy. In this inconsistency or perceived inconsistency, F.F. Bruce states this, he says, Those who deplore the absence of consistency from Paul, they miss the higher consistency which aimed at bringing all activities in his life and thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this had nothing to do with the council in Jerusalem. This had everything to do for gospel clarity to make sure that there was no stumbling block standing in the way for the Jewish brothers to hear the good news and to see Timothy with him. So Paul was setting the example. He was discipling Timothy to become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. To to the circumcised become circumcised. To give a clear path to the gospel. So now... We look at this putting muscle and strengthening the church. We'll see here in a moment. So putting muscle and building strength might mean that you, as the worshiper, as the the child of God through Christ, as the follower of Christ, it might mean for you today to exercise a bit out of your comfort zone. It might mean that you might pick up some weights that you have never lifted before. How are, you, how are you going to build muscle mass? How are you going to build in a weight room? If you, have your, if, you, if you have your weights before you, if all you do is just walk around and talk about how you're going to pick up those weights, how are you ever going to gain muscle by doing How are you ever going to put on any weight of muscle at all if all you do in the weight room is walk around? How are we ever going to win the loss if all we do is talk about winning the loss? So you might have to pick up some weights that you've never picked up before. You might need to witness to people that you've never witnessed to before. Let's look at these last two verses together. The Bible tells us that way they went on their way through, they delivered to them the Gentile for the observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles, the elders who were in Jerusalem. So they passed on this to the Gentiles and and the news that they confirmed to one another that Gentiles need not be circumcised to be considered a believer in Jesus. They, They passed on all that they had learned And all the while, they're walking around with a Jew-Gentile who had been circumcised. Again, this is not about observing of this law or not observing. This is about a gospel proclamation. And so, yeah, Paul might be pragmatic here because he is being all things to all people. So, yeah, blame him for being pragmatic here. Yeah, sure. And the last verse says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Again, highlighting these words, strengthened and increased in numbers daily. Now, the reason that the church grew in numbers was due, number one, to the gospel proclamation. But it was also the fact that Paul and Timothy were willing to be all things to all people. And because they had a good reputation. Does your reputation matter? And this become a normal way of life for the early church. What is the normal way of life? 
the church was growing and God was adding to her numbers daily. It become a normal way of life. We've already seen this at least two, three times already. So now we go back full circle. We go back full circle to the title of today's sermon, which is Growing in Stereo. The growing part is evident. What is the growing part? It is evident in the text. The church was growing because the true gospel was being preached. Okay? They weren't just telling funny stories or handing out tracts and just letting that be it. They were investing in discipling. And so it was growing because they were preaching the true gospel and discipling. And they had a good reputation. They were well spoken of. And they, they were people who were, who were willing to get into the trenches of the culture and to be all things to all people, not in a sinful way. That doesn't say that they participated in their sins. They engaged the culture. And so, if you live in a farming community, you identify with the farmers, don't you? Anybody want to bring any peanuts this coming? When the peanuts are harvested, my back door is open. Anybody want to bring some corn? Bring it on by. Identify with the farmers in that way. If you live in a fishing community, what do you do? You grab a rod and a reel and you go fishing. Or you grab your net. If you live in a race car community, well, there's hope there too. <laughs> but it is interesting in verse 5 that Luke records that the church was strengthened. And the ESV translates this word as strengthened. And I am a sucker for a good word study or a good word search, especially in the biblical languages. The word for strengthen means firm or solid. Firm or solid. The early church became firm and solid like a bodybuilder's muscle. And when I look at this word closer, I notice that this word is in the imperfect passive of the Greek word stereo. Looks familiar, doesn't it? That's where we gather our word stereo. To be strengthened in stereo, growing in stereo. Today, if I challenged you right now to gather an image, do it right now. You get an image in your mind of a little boy or, or a little girl showing you that they are strong. What do they do? They'll show their muscles, won't they? They'll show their muscles. Gather that image in your mind of somebody who says, I'm a strong little boy, I'm a strong little girl, maybe even... Maybe you get an image of a, of, a, of a bodybuilder or something like this. Yeah, the doctor told me not to lift over 10 pounds, so I have to repent of that. You can go past that slide, Tim. So yeah, you might get a picture of somebody showing their biceps or flexing in this regard. Both arms flexed out in stereo, being strengthened in this way, showing that they are strong. So for the church to grow in stereo, to be strengthened on all sides, she must have her members spoken well of, be willing to go out of their comfort zone with the good news of Jesus, be all things to all men, not in sin, be all things to all men, and simply just be faithful to the gospel. Just be faithful to the gospel. So are we willing to grow in stereo together? Are we willing to be strengthened together? Now let me say this. Maybe for somebody here today or somebody listening online, I'm convinced that some people are not strengthened because they use Jesus as their rebound relationship. 
What do I mean by that? Well, what do I mean by that is when people are only court or will only date the idea of Jesus when there ain't nothing else better to do. They are dating Jesus or courting their idea of Jesus or church when there's nothing else going on. When you get a new man, when you get a new uh, woman, you get a new, you get a new, you get a new wife or a new husband, uh, and then you forget, you forget you got a church family. And they put Jesus back on the shelf where he was at before they ever got involved with anybody, anyways. And so, let me say this: Jesus will not be put on the shelf. He's either going to be first in your life, or he won't be anything. And maybe that's the reason why some folks aren't strengthening their walk with the Lord. They're picking up idols instead of picking up the mantle of Christ and they're not growing any, any bit of muscle in their walk with the Lord. So church, I would say this in closing. We must make serving Christ priority in all that we do in building muscles. And yes, it does matter what people think. Don't let the devil fill your head with that. We're in a community of believers and it certainly does matter. If you want to make much of Jesus, if you want to tell somebody the sweet story of Christ, if you want to tell somebody the gospel, they'll never ever listen to you if you, if you are living in sin and they know it. Now the Lord used Timothy in his youth and he can use you as well. The question is, will you be used by God? Will you be strengthened? Let me say this, if you want to be strengthened in your walk with the Lord, He will walk with you. He will give you the tools to do so. And, he's, and He has done that, not only in His Word, but in this community as well, in this gospel community. Let's grow together in stereo. Amen. Let's pray.